Hello all, and welcome to Current Account with Clay Lowry, the Executive Vice President here at the Institute of International Finance. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to your attention current issues in international finance and economics, as well as provide a U.S. policy and politics angle on these different issues. Clay, over to you. Welcome to another episode of Current Account. I'm your host, Clay Lowry. And as I promised last week, in this episode, I'm going to be discussing the pivotal midterm elections that took place last week in the United States. Before we get into what happened during these elections and how we can interpret the outcome, let me just start with a little background. What are midterm elections? So midterm elections take place at the halfway point of a president's term, which is, of course, four years long. While the president of the United States is not on the ballot during the midterm elections, three offices are the Senate, the House of Representatives, and state governors. Together, the Senate, as the upper house in the chamber, and the the House, the House of Representatives, is the lower house of the chamber, they make up the United States Congress. The U.S. Congress is comparable to a parliament, which is a legislative branch or lawmaking branch in many countries. But unlike parliaments, it is completely separated from the executive functions of the U.S. government which is run by the president. Governors, meanwhile, act as the executive branch of each state. This post often is seen as a launching pad to a presidency, basically for successful governors. Recent examples include Bill Clinton and George Bush. Senators run for re-election every six years. So one-third, 34 out of the total 100 senators, were up for election in this midterm. Notably, the Senate has been at a 50-50 tie between Democrats and Republicans coming into the midterm. And in the U.S. system, the vice president breaks a tie. So that means that the Democrats actually control the Senate. The House of Representatives, on the other hand, runs every two years. So that means every seat is up for re-election, 435 of them. The Democrats also control the House of Representatives, but it is a very narrow margin, actually a net plus five majority. And then finally, the governor's races, 36 of the 50 states were up for election this year. Coming into the election, each party was obviously hoping for a positive outcome. What was their major case? For the Republicans, the major case was, in some respects, a structural one. Midterm elections typically disfavor the incumbent or the party of the president. In this case, the Democrats. So if you look at elections since the 1930s, the president's party has typically lost over 25 seats in the House and roughly four Senate seats. More cyclically, the Republicans were believed that they could make the case that it was President Biden's fault that we have such great inflation, 40-year high inflation in the United States. They also campaigned that we've had rising crime in the United States, that this was the fault of the Democrats. And we have a mess on our immigration system and also, of course, would be the fault of the Democrats. The Democrats case, on the other hand, was that first, the Biden presidency, when compared to the Trump presidency, is viewed as relatively orderly and you don't have so much chaos. And in order to continue to have that, we should continue to have Democrats in charge. Additionally, the U.S. has had relatively good economic growth and fairly strong employment growth compared to other countries. A different argument is that Republicans, especially those that seem to fully support Donald Trump, can appear at least to many voters as extreme. And so to swing voters, 
an extreme Republican Party could cause them much concern and therefore to vote for Democrats. And then finally, the Democrats were hoping for what would be called a voter turnout to energize voters because of actions that were taken by the Supreme Court earlier this year when six conservative-leaning justices, three of whom who were appointed by Donald Trump, had turned over important cases, particularly Roe versus Wade, which puts the decision of abortion access, ends it at the federal level, and puts it back to the state level, something that a lot of people thought was a bad decision. So the overall thrust going into this was the Republicans had definitely the advantage and people were talking about, could there be a Republican wave? Sometimes you'll hear it referred to as a red wave because Republicans are considered to be red and Democrats blue, which is just a fluke of history that I don't actually understand why it is the case. What was the actual result? As of the recording of this podcast, we still are waiting for races to be confirmed. And so we don't actually completely know. By the way, that's a positive thing for Democrats because that means Republicans, while they look poised to take the House of Representatives, it is going to be clearly a much more narrow margin than they had anticipated or actually that most of the pollsters had anticipated. The Senate also appears inconclusive, but it actually appears to be leaning a little bit towards the Democrats' favor, although it's possible we'll come down to another weird election in Georgia on December 6th to see whether or not is it going to be a Democratic-controlled Senate or a Republican-controlled Senate. In the governor's races, the Democrats held their own. They actually flipped seats in the states of Massachusetts and Maryland, and they retained Kansas, which is usually seen as a much more a Republican-leaning state. Um, at the time of recording, those are the only flips, which means that the Democrats actually had a positive night although it is possible that a few seats could change towards Republicans as more votes are counted. The overall takeaways are, first, that there was no red wave, as I mentioned before. Second, that the Democrats were surprisingly resilient. In fact, with the exception of the year 2002, which was clearly influenced by the 9-11 attack on the United States, this is probably the best result an incumbent president's political party has had in a midterm election, and potentially ever. Well, that all being said, Republicans are likely to get control of the House of Representatives. And while it'll be a very narrow margin, it still could be a significant hindrance to the Biden administration. Speaking of which, what do these results mean? Let me try to break it down into three issues. The ability to pass legislation, the approach towards a couple of key issues, and the outlook on the 2024 presidential election. First, with Republicans in charge of one part of Congress, it'll be much more challenging for the Biden administration to pass legislation. But because the Republican victory in the House was so narrow, it is probably going to be very hard to get Republican type of legislation passed as well. So we are looking at uh, what was best described as a gridlock situation in our Congress. One area in the financial sector that I think we'll see a lot more activity on is on crypto assets. I think Republicans and Democrats believe that we need to find a regulatory framework for digital assets. And also, where does that regulatory authority lie? Which is actually a little bit of a mystery, as we've discussed in previous podcasts within the United States. A second thing I think we can expect from Republican-led House of Representatives, at least, is a lot more anti-China rhetoric. It's kind of hard to imagine that because the anti-China rhetoric is already very high in the United States. 
In fact, I would say that Joe Biden's China policy is not actually much different from Donald Trump's China policy. But the Republicans in charge of one part of Congress are going to try to demonstrate that they are even tougher on China. So it is likely that we will see increased calls for legislation and potentially action on legislation on Taiwan, which kind of gets you towards economic sanctions potentially, or penalties towards technology controls, as we've actually recently seen by the Biden administration. We could see even more. Or as I've discussed in earlier podcasts, an outward bound investment screening mechanism. So expect much more on China. And third, this midterm election does give us a little bit of insights into the 2024 presidential election. Right now, I would think there are three big takeaways from the election night. First, Donald Trump has hinted that he will announce his candidacy for president in the weeks, if not days, following the election that I was just discussing. The results of the midterm were pretty negative for Donald Trump. Many of his candidates that he endorsed lost, and they lost badly. Some of his candidates won, but it's going to be a little bit harder for him to say that he is a complete winner. Second is the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. He had an incredibly positive outcome. He essentially wiped out his opponent, which was kind of seen as a bit of a surprise, particularly since his leading rival in the Republican Party, Donald Trump, had actually come out very negative against Ron DeSantis in the days before the election. Mr. DeSantis is seen as the likely competitor to Donald Trump. And while he's now, right now, the governor of Florida, it's possible he will run. And then finally, Joe Biden. He had a better than expected night, as I mentioned before. And even though Democrats are likely to lose the House of Representatives, he seems to be in a much better position if he wants to be the 2024 nominee for the Democrats to be that person. His biggest question mark by far will be his age. He'll be 82 years old in 2024. So now it's time for my three, two, one. My three takeaways, the two things I'm looking forward to, and my one sports fact. So here are the three takeaways. The United States has been highly polarized for a long time, and this election did not resolve any of this. It continues to be a very polarized election where we have essentially a 50-50 split between Republicans and Democrats. Second, the biggest winner of the night, besides the Democrats, needs to probably be the Republican governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, who, as I mentioned before, won his election in what has to be described as a shellacking. And third, with the Republicans being more prominent in Congress, expect the rhetoric, if not actions, to increase against China. The two things I'm looking forward to is first is to figure out who the heck won the Senate. We will need to look out for, actually, I mentioned Georgia. The elections in Arizona and Nevada have not been called either. They're very, very close elections. So we could see a 50-50 split again. We could see a 51-49 split for the Republicans, or we could see a 51-49 split for the Democrats. And second, soon President Biden will be heading to Indonesia to meet with many world leaders for the G20 summit. This will be President Biden's first time meeting in person with China President Xi Jinping since taking office. They both have gone through their political seasons, and they both actually have been successful. So it'll be interesting to see how that conversation evolves. And finally, my one sports fact. I try to usually focus on a lot of uh, global sporting events, but today I'm going to talk about something that's pretty American, which is college football. In college football, universities play against each other. 
It is actually one of the most popular sports in the United States. But in the last few years, it has gotten to be somewhat boring. And why is that? It's because there are basically two teams, Alabama and Clemson, which is from the state of South Carolina, that are always in the top four teams. In the, in the college football system, the top four teams are the only four that play in the playoffs. But just this week, for the first time in eight years, neither of those teams are in the top four. Instead, it's defending champion, Georgia, perennial powerhouses, Ohio State University and the University of Michigan, and one upstart, Texas Christian University, which I love their nickname, the Horned Frogs. These four teams are right now set to be in the playoffs in January, although this is likely to change. It does raise an issue about sports. It is, it is fun to see dynasties, but it's also really fun to see new blood rising and to see different teams win. And college football had become too much of a dynasty issue. So I actually am very happy to see that four different teams are playing. And while I have nothing against Alabama nor Clemson, it's good to see them fall off a little bit. Anyway, that's it for this week's current account with Clay Lowry. We're going to take the next two weeks off mainly because of Thanksgiving here in the United States. But I hope you'll join us again in a couple of weeks for a new episode of Current Account. And thank you for listening. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Current Account with Clay Lowry. We'd love to hear from you, so please feel free to provide us any feedback or ideas about the show as we're always looking to improve and make these episodes fun and relevant for the audience. You can provide feedback at podcast at iif.com. Make sure to tune in Monday for our next episode. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Thanks for listening.